Hello, and thank you once again for tuning in to Level Zero Literacy. I'm Mason, and this week we're going to talk about my favorite video game ever made, Metal Gear Solid 2. I am so excited. Just like always, we're going to spoil the game from beginning to end, and we're going to discuss topics that include, but are not limited to, nuclear war, sexual assault, and violence towards children. Please use your best judgment before proceeding. Enjoy! Welcome back to Level Zero Literacy. My name is Mason. I am here with my wonderful co-host, Samuel. Hey. And Buck. I don't know if I can do this. We don't know if you can do what? It wasn't in the VR missions. (laughs) (laughs) Joining us today is my beautiful and wonderful and kind and caring and empathetic and lovely fiance, Haley. Hello. We are here to talk about my favorite video game ever, the 2001 masterpiece that is metal gear solid 2 written and produced by hideo kojima takes place two and four years respectively after the events of metal gear solid 1 primarily in the bay of new york you play solid snake and later raiden during their respective attempts to stop terrorist threats from acquiring new and more terrifying metal gear weapons platforms the game touches on many subjects that people found pertinent culturally during the late 2010s including fake news alternative truth echo chamber echo chamber politics escalating authoritarian military regimes as well as many other things that we will get into Uh, how did y'all like the game folks it's good I'm going to agree with it was good. I really enjoyed this game, but there are some things about the first game I like more. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Haley? I enjoyed it. I I guess the caveat I should add is I did not play this game myself. I just have watched you play it and then later Sam play it. For those listening, I am a watcher of many video games, not necessarily a big player. And that's because I recognize in myself that I don't have the patience to, you know, just handle a lot of moving parts all at once. And I get easily frustrated in boss battles, but I really like the narrative of games. So I will oftentimes just, you know, watch my fiance play through a lot of these games that um, have been and will be featured on the podcast. You don't think you're ready to fight 10 Metal Gears in a row? <laughs> no. In the bottom of a AI and information weapons platform set up by the Patriots? No, absolutely not. I would probably give it about maybe a good five to ten tries and then just cry and never touch it again. That That's is fair. one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a video game is... <laughs> It just, it just feels so out of place. <laughs> they just got ten. They just got like thirty metal gears down there. You don't even beat them. They just, they're just like, <laughs> they oh, just leave. I guess I'll walk away now. Well, you got to be able to. At that, we'll get into why. That's everything is supposed to feel a little out of place. Yep. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's more about testing. We'll get into it in, in the in the thrust of things. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the tanker portion of the game the first we'll just follow the narrative sort of beginning to end in the episode here Uh, at the beginning of the game you play as solid snake this was 
the footage that was used in all of the marketing for the game was tanker footage. One thing you'll hear a lot of fans say was that at the time of release of Metal Gear Solid 2, the fact that you played as Raiden for a large portion of the game, the majority of it, in fact, uh, came as a huge surprise because all of the marketing featured Solid Snake and Solid Snake alone and only footage of the tanker portion. What did y'all think of the tanker? It it was interesting to me that I felt as though the tanker section was very a, a very late addition to the game. It felt as if late in the development cycle of Metal Gear Solid 2, the executives stepped in and were like, hey, this isn't going to sell if the game is just you playing as Raiden the entire time. We need you to work on this front half. And it didn't feel like an after... I don't want to say it felt like an afterthought, but it definitely felt like something that was added on later rather than something that's necessarily started as the very early stages of development, ground up, building. I think it's very funny. It's... (laughs) Why so? (laughs) So, um, uh, it's a tutorial when you get another tutorial directly after it. It... When you go to save your game during this section, Otacon just goes, Hey, little boy, you play Metal Gear Solid 1, right? I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna be Mei Ling. Hey, I'm Mei Ling. This gives you nostalgia, right? You love this, don't you, little boy? <laughs> you like this. This is what you want. You want this to be exactly the same as the last game, don't you? You love it. You'll eat it up. I just... <laughs> It's, it is a very, I personally think it is a masterful meta commentary on like nostalgia and like the kind of absurdity of like tutorials in games to have this happen where like you literally, like you literally, you relearn everything you already know how to do because you know how to do it because you're snake. And then you have to do it again when you're riding. And it's just so funny. It's so, (laughs) oh my God. It's, it's so, it's honestly like almost surreal to me. And then like you have to take pictures of the metal gear and you never use your camera again in the game. Until you get a camera, like, at the end of the game and they give you a camera again. Oh, it's so weird. Yeah, as you were talking about the tutorial part, the camera thing is the first thing that came to mind. That, you know, you have to take pictures of the new uh, Metal Gear so that Otacon and Solid Snake can, like, share it with the media and all that. And I noticed this both in when I watched Mason's playthrough a few years ago and Sam's playthrough, it always manages that one photo is not exactly right. Yeah, the Marines <laughs> You're <logo>. just <laughs> a tiny bit off and then you have to go back and do it again. I, I definitely found that while it's a little frustrating, it's also pretty funny. I almost wonder if it's intentional that you can't get all the photos correct the first time. <laughs> it's just hard-coded in that one of them will be just wrong. Like, whatever your worst of the four is, is just immediately counted as wrong I, to make you do you it can, again. You can get it right in one, okay. surprisingly. Okay. It would be I, it would be a lot funnier if it wasn't. It would be. That is interesting, because I did get four of, like, the correct dings. And it, I did, too. And it didn't... But I think the thing was, there's limited memory on the camera. 
Yeah, so you, I might, and it might have been like that you saved over yeah. one of the good pictures you took. Yeah, I think that's what happened to me. So I would like to expand on what you were talking about a moment ago, Sam. It's funny that you should say that it seemed like there was a latent development change because there was. It was not exactly as you described, it was almost the opposite. So early, very early in development, after Metal Gear Solid 1 was shipped, Kojima was planning on doing a Metal Gear Solid 2 that featured Snake and Snake alone. He, it is, the way the legend goes, sort of, is that he saw the fan reaction to Metal Gear Solid 1 and was like so outraged by the fact that no one understood the message of the game that Snake was like a a victim, a tool, right? Used by all these disparate warring forces and then sort of left on his own like in the in the Alaskan tundra when they when he was done being convenient. And then people sort of lifted up Solid Snake and idolized him as this like wonderful super soldier and he was like this masculine and I- idyllic sort of protagonist for the action game genre that Kojima decided very late in production that he was going to add the Raiden portion of the game. So 70% of the game he was going to add and he was going to put in this rookie, this naive person who also is someone who's being used, uh, who is being utilized as a tool by forces more powerful than him, but he's going to be, you know, like whiny and a little girly and they were going to show him, like, you know, not knowing how to flirt with women very well. And do anything. Do anything he's, very he's well. A, just horrible. Just like whines and cries. everything. The, the way the sort of popular narrative goes is that that's how Raiden came to be. Is that originally it was a snake game and then he cut everything after the tanker and made it all Raiden. And added snake as a more knowing, less naive sort of foil to Raiden. Overall, I think the tanker portion mirrors the the sort of inner bay area of Metal Gear Solid 1, the first screen, and the second screen, where you go up into the helicopter pad. In that, like, everything is so much more, like, detailed and handcrafted and, like, so lovingly made and then the amount of attention to detail after that in the game like kind of plummets why was that vulcan raven statue there to make you just like a little fake out just a little joke just a little visual <laughs> joke it's not it's not like super deep that's or also something that's mirrored in the first one because there's a moment in the first game right with um it's not no it is him mm-hmm. in the first game where it's like the the shadow makes you think that he's in the room so like on the in in the tanker level, like in the chow hall, you can like shoot out the glasses on the on the bar and you can take pictures of like the girly posters that are in people's <laughs> lockers and show yeah. them to Otacon and he'll oh, be like really? and he'll be like, Whoa, Snake, what are you taking pictures of this for? I'm gonna <laughs> save this one for later, you know? And he'll he'll like react to you can like shoot Olga in the face with your tranquilizer darts and then Otacon will call you and be like you're sick man you're shooting a pregnant woman and then like there are things like that later in the game but the you can tell like the tanker is like where they put all of the 
I don't want to say Easter eggs, but like nice little finishing touches, you know? So what you're telling us is you shot a pregnant woman after she was incapacitated. Yes, many times. In my defense, <laughs> she tried to shoot me many times. That's She should have expected it. She tried to kill me. I didn't find the tanker section to be all that significant, though. I felt it. I don't think underwhelming is the right word, but it was very muted in comparison to what happens in the rest of the game. Oh, yeah. I like it as a story device for the setup of the rest of the game. The plant goes off the rails. I'd like you to imagine a world where you just play the plant and then like halfway through the game in the middle of act two revolver ocelot just reappears and he's like oh you know you would be like what what the world yeah i did think it was a good setup to the rest of the game because you introduce ocelot again you introduce olga you reintroduce liquid snake which we'll get into more which that is a whole wild concept anyway and like the tanker is ultimately what led to the next events of the game like that i'm and i'm sure we're about to get into that but that is where you know when the tanker went down that's where the big shell was constructed and the rest of our story goes from there yeah so now we have to move into the the main portion of the game which is the plant section big shell a two section oil spill cleanup device sort of that sits in the middle of the bay of new york uh, am i saying that right is that what's the name of that bay i i don't know what the name is but the, 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 it's a bay in the new bay york. that is in new york <laughs> and exists nominally speaking to clean up the oil spill where the tanker was exploded and metal gear ray escaped so you start this section in a way that is eerily similar to Metal Gear Solid 1. And this is something that we're going to touch on a lot as we go through this episode. A lot of the story beats in this game very intentionally mirror things that happen in Metal Gear Solid 1. You know, you you swim up in your submersible sneaking suit. You have to dispatch two guards on your way to an elevator up into the main portion of the game area. It's all very eerily similar. And what I think is very funny about this is before the big reveal that you're playing as Raiden, the voice actor like lowers his voice and makes it raspy to like Tries make to imitate Snake. Yeah, to make it like a little <laughs> ambiguous, like it could still be Snake. That is like absolutely wild. And like he's also doing it because uh, he, you know, he thinks he is currently Snake in Foxhound, right? That's true. That is what he has been led to believe. Shortly after, not very long, but after a couple of sessions, we get our first introduction into what are the Foxhound squad of this game, right? Dead Cell, made up of Vamp who is a Romanian just ex-military fighter who has vampire-like powers. He sucks people's blood. He has superhuman acrobatic abilities. He's meant to be sort of a mirror of Psychomantis. Fortune, who is this sort of tragic woman who 
is cursed to not die, right? Or at least in her words, she seems to, people fight her and she's unable to get hit by bullets. They sort of supernaturally curve out of the way such that she can, she can never die. And that's all she wants to do, right? We have the fat man who is a bombs expert, who is this big, this giant fat guy on roller skates who plants C4 everywhere and ends up being a double crosser who's meant to mirror revolver ocelot and we have solidus snake and (laughs) this is a wild wild sentence i'm about to say the former president of the united states who has acquired a an experimental army doc ock nanomachine suit and has is heading the operation to take over the the big shell and also revolver ocelot's just there too maybe important to note with solidus snake specifically like he is actually the third brother from the project that created solid and liquid snake and himself as well and and correct me if i'm misremembering this he was the president during the shadow moses incident in the first game right yes he was he effectively the story is he effectively he was forced out of the presidency and made dead cell after or just joined dead cell or was it made he he put together dead cell so what did y'all think about dead cell as a sort of compadre of your boss characters how they match up to foxhound how they stand on their own merits uh, Fortune is the only compelling character out of these. You think so? Yep. I agree with that. <laughs> I think I think my favorite detail about this game is that all of the members of this organization have different beliefs as to why they are actually undertaking the mission. Mm-hmm. It's true. Where fat man is just like in it for the money and the fame but both vamp and fortune have different beliefs of what the takeaway from the situation is and solidus has his own like super obscured plot this entire time galaxy which i think which to me made them more interesting as a group than fox or than foxhound in the first game because it was interesting over the course of the game to learn the character motivations and how they didn't line up. Whereas Foxhound was all like very meticulously planned out. You know, mm-hmm. Psycho Mantis literally lies to you and gives you this key card specifically so that you as Snake can go input the code for the Metal Gear. But right. here, these are all like disparate people with different stories and different backgrounds. So I found it to be a more, I felt them to be more compelling, I guess less compelling as a group because they're a lot all, they're much more individual as characters. They don't really click together. You know, the most chemistry we see is between Vamp and Fortune. Right. But Fat Man is just like doing his own thing pretty much. And Solidus is absolutely just doing his own thing. I think it's time to sort of talk about the themes of the game before we go any further, 
because everything sort of from here on out that we talk about as far as the large narrative beats in the game are going to tie into what the overall theme of the game is. As I yeah, the ending. As I mentioned in the first Metal Gear Solid episode, this the first three Metal Gear Solid games are Hideo Kojima's attempt to talk to speak to what makes a man, right? And and I mean and not like specifically a, a man, a male, but like a person. And the three things that Kojima meditates on in these games are uh, genes, which are spoken about in the first game. And in this game, we get memes, not the internet funny pictures, of course, but in the Dawkinsian sense, memes being information and how information sort of flows in society and the context within which the information flows. The it, just like in Metal Gear Solid 1, where the central conflict surrounding each character, as well as the overarching theme of the game, was could be boiled down to something in a genetic sense. In this game, uh, we see a lot of characters individually have their own personal conflicts related to how information is passed to them and in what context they process the information. The specific first character I'm thinking of that comes to mind is the president's Secret Service bodyguard, Ames. When you come upon Ames, he is tied up as a hostage. And when you begin to save him, he believes that Raiden, just like he, is an agent of the Patriots, who are this sort of shadowy government group that... The Illuminati. Yeah, they're... they're Kind the of the, they're kind of the Illuminati, <laughs> right? Or the what's that lodge called? Masonic Lodge. No, no, no. There's that one event every year where all like the rich, powerful people go. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, I can never remember. Honestly, the name of it. they most remind me of like Sealy. What is I, what's Sealy? That's a mattress. No, yeah. uh, uh, S E L E from or S E E L E from Evangelion. Uh, oh, okay. I uh, see what you're saying. <laughs> I haven't watched Evangelion, so I got nothing. Yeah, they, I mean, there's definitely a lot of parallels to other types of yeah. popular <laughs> media, especially like Japanese media, as yeah. well as like ideas that happen in, in sort of sci-fi and, and fictional zeitgeist here that we can draw comparisons to. But what it boils down to is the Patriots are the shadowy government cabal. They're pulling the strings. They're behind every big major world event. And their singular goal is to make sure that they maintain as much political power and influence as possible. Uh, so much so that members of the Patriots don't even refer to them as the Patriots, but as the Lali Lule Lo. Lali Lilo Lu. Which is a funny funny thing that gets sort of expanded on in four, but it's you just think of it as a code word. Back to Ames. Upon saving Ames, he thinks that you're an agent of the Patriots, and he doesn't even attempt to sort of level with you or find any common ground, right? Because he's just like, what are you doing? You have to, like, you know what your mission is here, right? You get to the president, you make sure that he plays his part. This is what we're supposed to do. Uh, And Raiden can't make sense of it, right? Because it's the context with which the two different people have sort of collected information about the mission and the events happening at Big Shell has led them into two very different sort of ideas of what's going on here. I I don't want to bury the lead here, but I think the most interesting thing about this is Ames is correct. Yes. 
I <laughs> and Raiden has no idea. It it's so interesting, you know, the information thing here. And at this point, it is kind of obvious that Raiden is being kept in the dark about a lot of things. Which I don't think should be particularly surprising if you have played the first game. Yeah, your mission contact is Colonel Campbell, who is characterized in the first game as being this sort of person who plays his cards close to his chest and sort of hides things from his agents that he works with. And he's up to his same sort of tricks at the beginning of this game. Yeah, I think it's apparent very early on that Raiden is not, you know, he's either given misinformation or just not given the full story because very early on as Raiden like learns new things, he's like, Hey, why didn't you tell me this? Or I thought the objective was this. Cause Raiden goes into it thinking that his mission is to kind of, you know, rescue the president and hostages from this, you know, impending terrorist attack. As we learn, that is not the objective like at all. Right. And uh, right after your meeting with Ames or after some events following, you actually meet the president. And upon meeting Raiden, he says, all right, time to do your part. Kill me. This is it's time. You know what you have to do. This is what's and, you know, sneaky Colonel Campbell, same as ever, has like a explanation like, oh, well, I didn't know. I didn't know he'd do that. That's I think, I'm being kept in the dark too. Yeah, I, I know as much as you, man. Funnily enough, I just wanted to kill the president, anyways. Okay, well, you. I thought it was objectively the correct thing to do. That's true. I mean, based on the information you're presented in the game, the I'm not going to say because the FBI is listening through smart devices at all times, <laughs> but yes, the the fictional in-universe president should die in the video game yes happy happy pride to the deceased president happy pride Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's why they killed him that's true (laughs) so along the way we have a number of other side characters that all all again like all of their central conflicts involve the information they've been given about the mission and how it doesn't match up with what they're seeing in front of their eyes. We have Iroquois Pliskin, who is Solid Snake in disguise. We have disguise. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, I swear to you, Sam was playing that whole game. Like, I bet that's not Snake. It's like you can I see, thought it was, see I and thought hear it, him. I thought it was much more interesting that it wouldn't be Snake. That I wanted to believe that it wasn't him. And I was, I, I was genuinely a little disappointed that it was just <laughs> him the whole time. I, I, I don't know. I kind of want to. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to derail the con- the conversation, but I want to talk about what happened yeah, to yeah. Liquid Snake's body. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, because that is absolutely insane. <laughs> it's it's wild, and that and it. Hey, great! Because we're we're talking about it right now, right? That's um, <laughs> that's how Rose, your information person, that's the information they know about Solid Snake, right? Yeah. So. I kind of want to walk through the what I think the timeline of what happened to Liquid Snake's body is. So, 
Liquid Snake, something happened. Like, he, he dies at the end of Metal Gear Solid 1, right? Yeah. Something happens to his body. Uh, the Patriots get a hold of it and attach Liquid Snake's arm to Ocelot, which is a thing we have not discussed yet, yeah. but is a thing that happened. Liquid Ocelot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's his name. And then... The Patriots do something stupid with the body so that it ends up in the possession of philanthropy? Yes. <laughs> no, they do that. I thought the, the idea is they did that intentionally. Yeah, so well, okay. that, was, that was all done to make well, sure that the official story... Because, like, remember at the end of Metal Gear Solid 1, Campbell, in an attempt to reward Snake for his job in Shadow Moses, says we'll make you go away. We'll make sure that the official story is that you died. Right. And they happen to just so have a body at the last known location of solid snake. That's a genetic perfect match for him. Right. So this was probably all part of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm following now, but then because philanthropy have that, by the way, philanthropy is the organization snake and Otacon work for yeah no they just are my they just it's just those two guys um there's no other members and and so because they have that body when the tanker blows up they're able to take this one armless (laughs) liquid snake body (laughs) and plant it in the tanker zone to say snake died again (laughs) yeah insane (laughs) they got every angle covered Oh, and you're forgetting the most important and insane part. When they attached Liquid Snake's right arm to Ocelot, Liquid Snake's mind somehow was still, or soul or whatever, was still existing in that arm. So Ocelot actually struggles with being in control of his own mind and body against Liquid Snake. And we see this a couple times. And it's, and it's whenever Solid Snake is around. Liquid, uh, well, I don't think that's like such a crazy concept considering that they have psychics and vampires who can walk on water. It might be his nano machines. <laughs> it might be his nano. Did he have nano machines in Metal Gear Solid 1? I'm sh- yes. He did. He yeah, did he have nano machines. He, he calls you on the codec, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he's Miller. So that's true. Yeah, I mean, it could be his nano machines. It could be, but like, it's Parasite Eve three. They, this game is Parasite Eve three. They, <laughs> I hate that I say this. They expand <laughs> on it more in Metal Gear Solid four, which is a bad game. <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to I want to sort of dig into these side characters a little more. Um, we see Pliskin, the bomb expert, being tricked. Uh, hold on. You mean, you mean sorry, Stillman, Stillman, not Pliskin. I apologize. We see Stillman, the bomb expert, being tricked by the fat man. Right? We see Fortune being lied to about why she is unkillable. Oh, we, I would, I would really like to talk about that conceptually. I, I don't want to interrupt your point, but no, I do want to like, I want to talk about like that whole thing because I the reason I say Fortune is like the only compelling uh, Dead Cell character is because I think the way her powers seem to work and look like they work to uh, like to us and to her, I think kind of coincide. And then when it's revealed that her powers don't work any other way than the Patriots wanted that to happen that way, 
like I just think it's super interesting. Of course. So can I talk about how I think it looks like Fortune thinks her powers work? Because yeah. this isn't addressed in the game. Yeah, do it. So the way I think Fortune thinks her powers work is other living things around her die instead of her. Yeah. Because the first time you see her getting shot at and not dying, a bunch of seagulls die. Right. And I think it is very intentional that it seems like she has this curse on her that even if bullets are shot directly at her, other things die instead. Well, she it, it's, it's pretty clearly alluded to that she has survivorship guilt. Yeah. A lot. You know, she blames herself for, you know, her dad dying on the tanker. Yeah. She oh, blames is it her, on the tanker? Yeah, her dad. Her so dad's her, the oh, army her general. Dad was the or the army marine general. The oh, marine okay. general. Okay, I was very confused about who her dad yep. was. <laughs> and then, you know, when Vamp gets shot, she blames herself for that because she thinks Vamp is dead even though he isn't. Her whole character is based around this, like, survivorship guilt. And, and like... It, the reason, the, so like, even when you're fight, fighting her, um, that one time, she's surrounded by bugs, right? And I don't know how intentional this is, but it looks intentional to me that, like, you're supposed to think she has a power like this. Yes. Un, until you know she doesn't. And, like, the fact, I, I do think it's a little bit weird because it seems like it's just a device the Patriots have, and the fact that she wouldn't have noticed that during the whole time is a little weird. Well, it's it's <laughs> nanomachines, right? Oh, I thought it was like that hexagonal device, or was that just a thing on her? That's just a thing that powers her railgun. Oh, okay. The, okay, the, okay. So she, she had an electromagnetic field that was created by her nanomachines okay. that okay. was causing bullets to be repelled. The one that Revolver Ocelot has at the end of the game, I think, is meant to be like a more obvious showing of it being a piece of technology yeah fortune is like easily one of the most compelling characters in the game my personal i think my personal favorite is stillman right because he he's such a tragic and also guilty sort of person right he's this bomb defusal expert who had this tragedy happen and as a result of the tragedy uh two things changed about his life number one he took on an apprentice who is fat man who would later go on to you know be in this terrorist group on big shell and he faked having a a bum leg for the rest of his life so he not only in the leg thing is like a physical representation of him sort of carrying the guilt of what he did. And then fat man is like a personification of like how, what he did like lives on and continues to cause problems for other people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, so he's like so wonderfully written. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love the little microcosm of information here. Right. Like, because it's like, they both Raiden and Snake treat Stillman as someone like to be pitied until he's like, all right, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired of this. Right. Like, yeah, I've been living a lie and never been able to like admit it. And now everything that's happened in my life has led to this situation. 
and it's it's such a cool way for that storyline to go and I really appreciate the way Stillman was written because if he wasn't written that way, I would have just hated this section of the game because I thought the objective was very stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's like another one of those things. It happens a lot in this game. It doesn't happen so much in mm. one and three where you get pushed through some very unpleasant gameplay by like very compelling writing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the writing is what got me through this section because I'm like, I literally have to go through every single one of these and deactivate like six bombs. This is, yeah, oh, this fucking sucks. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of, I like that level except except for the filter room. I, oh my god, I hate the filter room. I told Sam going into it like, good good luck, buddy. Which rooms, ones? Which ones? The filter room. The room with the big. Uh, you have to pick pool. up the doors. Oh, right. To yep, find yep. the bomb inside oh, one that, of them. Because it's like two level, but it's the only two right. level room where the guards can see up a level because the middle is all hollowed out. So you can be in the middle of dealing with one guard when a guard that is down a floor and like way off in the distance will like see you because it's like he can see you on a different part of the platform from below you and come like shoot at you it's awful <laughs> i don't like that room um so before we move on to sort of the ending which i think is going to be a large part of our discussion right the and whole, the whole narrative is the ending the, it yeah, is game <laughs> the 90 percent of the story happens in the last 10 percent of the game mm-hmm. i want to just talk about before we move on uh did y'all have any more to say on parts that sort of mirrored the events of Metal Gear Solid 1, the Shadow Moses incident, uh, before we move on. Because once we get to the ending, it starts to not mirror Shadow Moses anymore, and we're going to be kind of past that narrative device. I just... I do Since we're just in this section, I do think it's really interesting to see Raiden through this part of the game... Because you can actually see him change as a person. And I think that's a real, that's actually like a good juxtaposition of one where Snake is like already a competent person in one. And like he doesn't have to deal with many insecurities or anything. Or like, you know, is he going to be able to do something? You know, what does it mean to be a soldier? It's like he has mostly processed a lot of that stuff, but Raiden hasn't. And, you know, I don't I don't know what exactly we're going to be considering the ending, but like Raiden interacting with Rose throughout most of the game is like, you know, I I save way too much when I play video games. Yeah. <laughs> and just Raiden's interactions with Rose through the beginning, like through the through this section of the game, are very interesting. To where you effectively, their relationship already exists, and all this build up here is like it's interesting character development that I think we didn't really get in one in terms of like your character growing and changing throughout the thing before the end. Just because Snake is a very different kind of character than... Yeah, you see... I mean, in Metal Gear Solid 1, you see what is essentially like a grown, jaded, older man have 
horrific things happen to him and he has to deal with them, right? He has to keep going and accomplish his goals in spite of all these bad things that keep happening. And Raiden, he he's he almost acts like boyishly in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. He almost mm-hmm. acts like a little immature and annoying. And yeah. I mean, it's very on purpose. Yeah, it's a it's a stylistic choice for sure. Mm. Sam, Haley, anything? I hate all the characters in the first half of <laughs> Big Shell. Genuinely, uh, yeah. not, no, not, no, no, no. It's not, fine. Expand, expand. Not from a perspective of I don't think they're good characters, or well written, or well developed, or whatever. I just think they're all completely unlike, other than Pliskin because it's just Snake. Yeah, I I just think they're all completely unlikable and un, unenjoyable. <laughs> yeah, but it and it's on purpose for you to feel that way. But I don't like Rose. You yeah. think he did? You think I don't uh, like Raiden? You think the writers like I don't did like Stillman? Too good a job doing it. I <laughs> I just I never really had a reason to have any real sense of empathy or sympathy to any of the characters because they were all just so incredibly on either on their face, horrible people or just very have very immature worldviews yeah, or like bad relationships with each other. Yeah. I will agree that Rose (laughs) grinds my gears i don't like her and i wonder if that's also on purpose as well when we kind of learn more about rose uh later on in the game but if their like goal was for you to dislike rose it worked i i can't did not like her and her relationship with raiden too i was like you know every time you went to save the game and you, they would have like these little conversations as you're saving. I was just like, this is kind of insufferable. I love how she's just like nagging him about like yeah things that don't the matter. Things it's like yeah, I just saw a life or death situation. Right. <laughs> hey, Ryden. Hey, Jack. I know you just saw the president get murdered in front of you. I know you had to watch that. Yeah. Do you actually remember the day we met? Could you <laughs> just take a moment and sort of reflect on that? I didn't even talk about probably the least likable character in this entire game, EE. Oh my god! Well, I consider well, that more of like the second well, half. Of the I game. thought, sure. yeah, I thought we were gonna get to that in the end. Yeah, but well, don't worry. I'll give you a moment yeah. to rant on EE. But she is. I. It, it's weird because, I in hindsight, I like the choice because I think it serves the intent of the narrative very well. But when you're actually playing through it, it's so agonizing to get through because for me a big reason to play games is to connect with the characters and to empathize and sympathize with the things that they're going through because it brings you new perspective yeah but you don't get to do that in the first half of big shell really like the first like 75 percent of big shell you don't really get to do that and i think that was like one of that was one of my main two turnoffs of this game, and I'll get to my second one later, where it's like it you really have to fight through that first like that middle like f- three to five hours. Like the second act of the game. Yeah. Is like it was felt like a slog to you. A little bit. And not and not from a gameplay perspective. I because to me there's the gameplay of this game was a significant improvement over the first one where it felt a lot easier to control. Your objectives were much better laid out 
and easier to find and there was a much clearer path forward which I think that if that wasn't the case I would have bounced off a lot harder and I would have struggled a lot more to get through this game so I'm really glad for that but yeah it's It's rough Uh, yeah no it's rough and it's on purpose and it's meant to make you feel a certain way Um, but it can be hard like it's not it's not normal to go into a game expecting to feel these things and Mm -hmm. it's not it's kind of an alien experience i don't i I mean i miss games being like this i miss mainstream games being like this being like what specifically like where they could experiment and just like do weird things and not do I don't want to get on a rant about how Final Fantasy 16 isn't made for me and like oh. a dragon and Dragon Quest 11 are much closer to what I'm looking for <laughs> right now. But it when I say this what I mean is I personally feel like triple game triple A games used to have a lot more heart and interesting things to say and do because one they took less time to make and Two, it was a little bit more of a wild west and you could do things where like you we we can talk about how much we dislike all these characters and it's weird and i personally hate how much you have to backtrack through every single place in the first section of big shell like i hate it it's annoying it's not fun i don't like it (laughs) and this metal gear solid 2 is one of the best games ever made (laughs) right like yeah yeah I mean, there's a reason why when you look at our catalog, all the AAA games that we cover for the most part are from 2010 or earlier, and all the newer games we cover are indie games. Yeah, for the yeah. most part, and I don't it's, think there's anything wrong with that. It's this game is definitely from an era. I mean, it came out in 2001. It came from an era where these things were a lot less about the industry, where they were a lot less about the investment, right? Uh, Haley, do you, did you want to speak on anything more in the second act of the game? The parts that mirror Shadow Moses? If we are getting into like the second half of the game, I think it was an interesting kind of mirror to Shadow Moses is the stakes of having a family member kind of on the ground. Because yeah, yeah. in Metal Gear One, Solid 1, you had Meryl, who was the colonel's niece, yep. and trying to get you know her safely through that. And in um, Metal Gear Solid 2, you have EE, who we learn is Emma Emmerich, um, who is uh, Otacon's sister, or I guess technically stepsister. Um, and the way she, the reason she's there we'll I guess get into as we talk, you know, more about the ending and what's really going on at the big shell, but it's the whole stake of, you know, making sure that she gets through safely to complete this important objective that only she can do. Yeah, and I mean like the parallels don't stop there, right? Like Olga Grulukovich, the ninja in this game has a family member that they're fighting for who they're afraid will never know their struggle, which is like Gray Fox and Naomi. Mm, yeah. 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 There's, I mean, it's like, it's very interesting that you hit on that. Yeah. Because like Emma plays the same sort of role that Otacon does in Metal Gear Solid one. 
And initially, even before having a family reunion, Otacon wants to like scream at her first, like, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you being an Emmerich? Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly the same down yeah. to her pissing. Her pissing when herself in the you locker her. and yeah. shove it oh, down yeah. her face. I, I gotta say, Otacon has the worst luck of anyone on this planet. Have you played Metal Gear Solid 5? No. It's a real son paying for the debts of the father situation. Uh, because his father's a real bastard. Mm, well, his father died. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, didn't see you there. I was just checking out all the cool social media feeds for Level Zero Literacy. You should check them out yourself, as well as like, comment, subscribe, and leave a review. If you don't, I'll be forced to go back to my old job of fracking for an oil industry. Wouldn't want that now, would we? Anyway, I'll pass you back to the episode. I think we should <laughs> move on. You want to do one moments first, or do you want to get onto the EE and onward? The last, the last part of the game. I feel like my moment is in the latter half of the game, anyways. So. Okay. All right. So I think that's gonna be true of all of us. The last ten percent of the game <laughs> holds ninety percent of the story. It is a nonstop sort of twisting revelation it just it it starts and it it never stops to to emphasize this i would like to emphasize this i was re-watching the beginning of the game the first so like the rewatch is just the cut scenes and with a lot of the codex stuff cut out it's about five hours and 50 minutes long the first like Eight to nine hours of gameplay are the first two and a half hours of cutscenes. Jesus. And then three and a half. Three and a half hours is just once you're in Arsenal gear. I have an easier way to paint this picture. Yeah. So I was over at Mason's apartment to play this game because he owns it and I don't. Last night, we had our last session of this game. I got here at like 8 o'clock. Yep. The only thing I had left were the was the Metal Gear fight and the Solid Snake fight at the end of the game. And I think I left at like 10.30. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite that late. It was like... It was like 10, at least 10. It was like 9.45. Yeah. So It was just an insane... Like I put my controller down for most <laughs> of the end of the game. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, towards the end of the game, you meet uh, Otacon's sister, EE. You, she, yeah, she sucks. She's awful. She's. <laughs> Raiden has to grow up real fast because he has to deal with EE. He, he has to be a big brother. Gives me both yep. the heebies and the jeebies. Just thinking about her story arc. Oh uh, yeah. She has devised a virus that will shut down all the Metal Gears. You haul her over after trials and tribulations and we'll get into the specifics of that in just a minute because there is one thing I really want to talk about as far as the EE escort mission it's revealed to you that the big shell is sitting on top of a giant military base under the ocean called arsenal gear the computer virus is not meant to shut down the metal gears only but um the AI that yeah. runs Arsenal Gear. The AI that runs Arsenal Gear, which is would be a huge blow to the Patriots, for whom this AI uh, monitors all 
information being trafficked on the internet and selectively censors and lets through what it wants in such a way as to promote the Patriots interests. And she has this uh, Trojan horse virus that's going to, that's going to stop it. Finally, you deliver her to where she needs to be. Uh, you upload the virus. Oh, can you mention that she is fatally stabbed before you deliver? Oh yeah. She's uh, <laughs> with her dying breath. Her and her brother share a uncomfortably tender, loving moment. Mm. That is definitely got some romantic overtones. It, 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 it's horrible. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about this story because it's like weirdly soap operatic. And it, it's it's stepbrother porn is what yeah, it is. Yeah. It's sick. So so not only is it stepbrother porn. So let, let, so the way this story goes is EE and Otacon separated because when Otacon's father died, he no longer lived with his stepmother and EE. And the reason Otacon's father died is because Otacon's father effectively killed himself while EE was present because Otacon's stepmom was sexually abusing him. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. EE mentions playing house with Otacon, where Otacon is the husband, she is the wife. And it's. Uh, yeah, she essentially awful. kind of there's uh, undertones that she like had a crush on Otacon, and even though she like was upset and hurt for him leaving after his father's death, which by the way she almost died herself. It was a drowning in their family pool. That's how their father, you know, killed himself and had somehow kind of dragged EE with him. Um, under but despite kind of that hurt and pain and anger she still seemed to kind of harbor a crush towards him Mm -hmm. like the comment with the glasses how like she doesn't actually need glasses but she was like someone uh i used to like person (laughs) uh you wore glasses and i was like it the entire this entire scenario just made me deeply uncomfortable (laughs) and and it's another information I, who has the information about the situation. Yes, I didn't really like <laughs> this is an issue I have with the first game too where Otacon's story just kind of feels shoehorned in for to make you no real with reason him. to yeah, make you empathize to with make, him to make him a more fleshed out character but I, I, it just didn't at least in the first game it was like Oh, this like tragic family history of being unwittingly involved in all these nuclear projects, right? That I was like, okay, this doesn't feel like super necessary information, but at least like we're developing out the character a little bit more. Here it felt like just super, I don't know. I just felt like the way EE was handled and her relationship with Otacon was handled really diminished my feeling towards the idea that Otacon was sexually assaulted as a child because it, it, it there's such a tonal whiplash between this like very strange relationship between EE and Otacon and to immediately segueing into 
him telling his side of the story. And I don't know. It's it's just it it, did, it hit me in a way I didn't particularly like. One like big criticism that has always followed Kojima for as long as he's developed games is that he can he's been known to write women in his games in super like condescending and sort of contemptible ways and like this game is like that's a huge criticism levied let, against it let's let's not mince words here e is fridged yeah she, for she's, sure fridged. she's fridged it, it, and i mean it, it's not even just that she's fridged it, it, she's like barely even sympathetic and fridged <laughs> yeah uh. she, she exists in the narrative to mirror otacon and then give character to otacon yeah and she has some interesting like a very little amount of like interesting sort of like lines and personality but it all exists in the context of her relationship to otacon she doesn't stand on her own and yeah like this is like one thing that people say about kojima is that you know women in his games in his earlier work existed to die you know fortune tragic story and died olga gerlukovich tragic story and died sniper wolf same story Meryl, although she didn't die, it's possible that she does die. Yeah, she's she doesn't come back till Metal Gear Solid Four. Um, and Metal Gear Solid Three, I think, is his first instance of like a very well written woman character. But like, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that like, despite the fact that this is my favorite game in the world, like, the, not the most respectful depiction of like women. I actually don't hate Olga here. I think Olga is probably. I found Olga to be a much more compelling character than Fortune, but specifically only because the first the tanker exists. Yeah, and, and let me let me make it clear because like Olga's not part of Dead Cell, which no. is what, why I said Fortune is the most compelling character. She's a Dead she's a double agent. Yeah, and Olga, like I actually. I don't know. I I mean, yeah, she dies, but I don't think she is a badly written female character. Like I I, I don't think know. She she's definitely it's a very it's a very hackneyed concept of a mother just like being overly protective of her child, but it's not as if the way it's portrayed in the game is unrealistic. And she's like also pretty powerful. Right. Like. I, I think I think when you talk about Olga in that way, if she existed on her own, we would probably say that like she's like written very well, very compelling, very respectfully. But she doesn't she wasn't written alone, right? She exists within all the rest of these Metal Gear Solid Two women characters who all have tragic stories, all end up dying, and all exist to give motivation to other characters. Well, with the exception of Rose. Well no, Rose kinda dies too. Rose was never well, we'll get to that. Yeah. But like you can't. I mean, like evaluating her on her own, she looks a lot better. But I think it's in, it inherently doesn't tell the whole story. Like when you do that, right? Because she's she sits in a milieu of female characters that all have these sorts of traits. Let's talk about the ending. Let's talk about <laughs> the ending. You know, the interesting part of the yeah. game. So after installing the virus, some convoluted things happen to get you into arsenal gear we don't need to talk about but as you are looking for snake to get your stuff back after you've been captured the colonel starts malfunctioning he sure does as does 
As does Rose. As does Rose. As does Rose. The nanomachines, and you know, it, it's not it's not actually Rose that you're seeing because the it, I think I think the intent is when the when the when the like thing doesn't switch, like I think the Rose you're seeing is Arsenal Gears AI showing you a picture of Rose's face and not actually Rose. That's my theory, my interpretation of what what's happening there. But the kernel is very clearly malfunctioning. And, I mean, it's kind of been made obvious that the kernel is not a real person at this point. And you pretty much figure out that... And, and Raiden is confused and doesn't really know what's going on because he's naive. He's just, he's just a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he meets up with Snake. And then you and Snake effectively start going through Arsenal gear... And the reason I didn't want to skip there is because I wanted to talk about that. And I also wanted to talk about how you get to this action part of the game right after it, where you're having to fend off a bunch of soldiers in Arsenal gear as you're trying to figure out how to stop it from running. And the game tries to get you to stop playing it. It sure does. And- Colonel, Colonel tells you, <laughs> hey, you've been playing a long time. Save the game. Turn off. <laughs> Rose is like you're gonna get eye damage if you keep. You, it gives you fake game over screens. <laughs> it gives you those say, fake game over screens. F- fission mailed. Fission oh mailed. man. Yeah, yeah. It does everything. <laughs> the game itself is trying to push against you learning the truth, right? And in a way, it's it sort of acts as you, the player, are like the only one who is not struggling and still just doing what their part is the whole time there's another game that there's another indie game that does the same thing it's called one shot if you haven't played it highly highly recommend may or may not cover it later down the line does something very similar it's it's a really cool way to do do you think it was inspired by this or i don't know it could have been it could have been i could see it but, but yeah, it's like a huge, this is like such a huge pivotal moment in the game is like you slowly, it dawns on you and you understand. And I actually not even slowly, like in an instant, right? It's like, oh man, the colonel, the person who was telling me to do all this has been an inside agent of the Patriots the entire time that this has been nothing, but I've been, I haven't been doing anything that I wanted to do. I haven't been doing anything that wasn't carved out for me carefully in a plan by this ai and now that and now that the glitch has been put in the ai is desperately trying to fight back to get you to stop because this part you know the ai says constantly that snake's presence is not part of the simulation yes right and so because snake is never stopped in these circumstances by the patriots or the ai or both it ends like you you fight through this and you get through this and the ai in its like defense of trying to get the story that it wants to happen that the patriots want to happen <laughs> they're literally just trying to force you know they're breaking the fourth wall and then some cutscenes happen some explanations happen and then you do start fighting some metal gears and we can <laughs> well you fight you fight this giant bunch of soldiers while these you see like an army of metal gears it's not just like the one metal gear and it's you you crawl around on it and it's like this larger than life 
thing that you you're like an insect in comparison to right they line the walls and uh, they're like looming over you almost like looking down on you as you move down these these hallways and finally you're set to fight them and you're on a circular platform with no other sort of visual stimulus just like this body of water that these amphibious metal gears kind of swim around in and Solidus approaches you and he's like, okay, you know, time to prove that you're a snake, right? Time to prove it's time to complete the solid snake simulation, the S three VR mission, which is what you've been simply taking part in just a training course, a carefully made training course to make more solid snakes. And he leaves and this army of metal ra- metal gear rays just loom down on you. And you have to fight them all off one at a time, not even killing them, just fighting them until they become too damaged and swim away. Yeah, well, it's not even one away. at a time. It's three at a time. <laughs> yeah, you have like yeah. up to three on the platform with you. It's true. And then sort of things come into perspective once you learn about the solid snake simulation, right? All these story beats that felt like weird off-brand versions of the things that happened in shadow Moses quickly are recontextualized as just that an off-brand simulation. If the government wanted to train more solid snakes, right? They would get like a cardboard cutout of Ocelot and make sure that you can fight off a metal gear and see how you would react to new information coming along from an outside agent, like a ninja or an informant from who's a double agent. See if you can, the, you know, this training simulation would include escorting around a nuclear physicist who would save the day for you. It would test your ability to sneak around soldiers that have been enhanced with nanomachines there'd be a code you'd have to upload a virus <laughs> yeah down. yeah there'd be there'd be a code you'd have to put in right and it, it it sort of crashes into you like waves you know you have to fight you have to be able to fight off a plane mm-hmm. right yeah <laughs> all these moments that just seem like they're doing metal gear solid one again are just doing metal gear oh solid one God. again and on you, purpose you <sighs> I just realized the whole you kill Solidus in a plane and he falls into the sea. And he falls into the sea. (laughs) Oh, my God. But he's still alive. (laughs) I didn't even think about that when that was happening. (sighs) Arsenal gear, uh, after you fight off all these metal gears, Arsenal gear surfaces this giant, imperceptibly huge machine this battalion that's as wide as the manhattan bridge begins to land ashore crashes into new york dropping you off at the federal building well i'm skipping a few steps here let's talk about all the revelation because all the revelations happen after the you fight the rays right so after you fight the metal gear rays you've left solid snake to fight fortune it seems like it's just going to be you and Solidus. Arsenal gear rises to the the surface of the Bay of New York. This imperceptibly large battalion that that floats where once the tanker was that's now been destroyed. Right, it's now been blown up just so the Arsenal gear can surface. You sit on top 
handcuffed by Solidus and Revolver Ocelot's there. Olga Gerlukovich comes to confront him, but is killed like nearly immediately. She's she gives an impassioned speech about how she betrayed her fellow soldiers who who were like family to her just to save her child from the grip of the Patriots and is immediately he uh, Solidus just mercilessly snaps her neck, right? Because he wants what he wants more than anything is to not let the Patriots win, to not let this plan go off. No more Metal Gears, no more Solid Snakes, and no censoring of information in the digital age. Solid Snake and Fortune reappear. Uh, Fortune reveals that she's planning on double-crossing Solidus and taking the ray for herself, but Solidus reveals that he had planned for that all along. In fact, he was the one that had her set up to do so. Meaning he's like a, you know... He's done this thing that he wants so badly the Patriots not to do, right? Setting him up to be just like someone who would do the same thing if he was in that position, right? He's manipulated fortune in the way that the Patriots have manipulated all the other actors in the game. But something goes wrong. Liquid Snake takes over Ocelot's body. Because something important you should mention is, you know, Solidus kind of did all the setup of Dead Cell and all that. And then you have Ocelot, who's basically being Ocelot. You know, we get the impression at the end of Metal Gear Solid 1 that that that's who his loyalty lies to, is the president, who at the time was Solidus. And then we learn at this point that Ocelot's loyalty is not with Solidus, but with the Patriots. So he has been double-crossing Solidus this whole time. Shalashaska. It's true. <laughs> He's been shalling and shasking. He, Liquid Snake takes over via his transplanted arm, jumps in the Metal Gear Ray, and begins firing on everyone on top of Arsenal Gear, throwing a wrench into plans. He leaves, he, he tries to leave and hijack Metal Gear Ray, and Snake jumps after him, leaving the Arsenal Gear to careen into land in, in the Bay of New York dropping off Solidus and Raiden on the Federal Building, on the roof of the Federal Building for their final battle, right before which the AI colonel contacts you and says, just so you know, this this moment where it seems like everything's gone off the rails, where it seems like Snake and, and Liquid have ruined our plans, we want you to know that we planned for this too. This is how this was always going to end. Be a good little boy, beat. You are beat Solidus. Yeah. It's your job. And that, in fact, <laughs> it was not a simulation to create someone like Solid Snake, but it was a whole other thing. All this was to, all of this was in service to protect the AI. Arsenal gear surfacing, having you fight Solidus to the death. That was all because. The AI thought of this in desperation after the virus had been uploaded in an attempt to save itself, and it works. It works. You fight Solidus to the death and kill him, leaving the S3 plan, which is essentially a giant government censorship plan to restrict and allow information to be uploaded onto the internet. Well, actually, the S3 plan, in my understanding, is the ability to control 
what people do by dominating their thoughts. Yes. Yeah. The method by which they do that is censorship of the internet. That's not what my takeaway was, but well, Hey, okay. We'll expand on it then. So my takeaway was, so my understanding is that the plan of the censorship of the internet and like controlling the flow of information is separated from the S3 plan. The S3 plan was more a test to see if put under put in extreme circumstances this AI this government could still control everything that you do if you just like directed them hard enough. Oh, I, okay. I see what you're saying. I I would agree with that because there's this whole sequence of um the colonel and rose in the ai kind of saying it's not just about you know controlling digital content because they say their goal is not to censor content but to create context they essentially want to just control human thought yeah because so the- they feel like we don't deserve free will for all these different reasons so it's like we're doing this for humankind's benefit, for your benefit to, you know, essentially kind of control your lives because you can't be trusted with free will. Yeah, so the actual meaning of S3 is selection for societal sanity, which I think the censorship is a part of that, but the concept of S3 goes beyond just the censorship of an internet information. Yeah, it's controlling actions, just in general. And, like, largely, the Patriots and the Patriot AI, GW, are, like, overwhelmingly successful. You perform everything they need you to do. You eliminate Solidus in an in, in an exciting final battle. <laughs> you know the prequel to Metal Gear Rising: Revenge. <laughs> yeah, you you may have uploaded this virus, but the Patriots were one step ahead of Emma. And what the virus was eliminated eliminated everything about the AI that was inconvenient for the Patriots, including all of their identities, and and was supposed to leave only GW and, you know, a couple of other things uh, and only, only corrupt things that were useless and not expedient to the Patriots. And I don't want to derail this too hard here, but I do want to say I do kind of view Raiden as a sympathetic character at the end of this. Oh, yeah, I do at the end. Yeah. It, because, like, throughout this whole series of events, um, on the boat, Raiden is really struggling with the fact that he doesn't care that people are dying, that he doesn't care that he's killing people. That bothers him as he is now. And throughout these events, his interactions with Solidus, you find out Raiden was a child soldier. Yes. <clears throat> And was effectively 
groomed and chosen by the Patriots to be this little blank test dummy with all of his memories erased and no, none of his own volition except his success at VR missions, effectively. And no recollection of the fact that he used to be this brutal child soldier working for Solidus at some point, which I, I would love to know how, like, Solidus got elected well i mean it's the patriots but like yeah the patriots what, how did solid get elected as president as being a former general of child wars patriots <laughs> they simply didn't bring that up on the campaign trail yeah <laughs> you try i mean where were they gonna where were they gonna post that online that's patriots yeah. territory baby yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know i and and this is also where Raiden finds out that the reason he even has a relationship with Rose and react like even wanted to he wanted to mansplain King Kong to Rose. Yeah. <laughs> Was because the Patriots set it up so that he would do that. Sure is. It, and it's like Raiden has nothing that is his own throughout this whole thing. And you know, at the end of that, he's really struggling with it. He doesn't know. I mean, the only thing he knows is that, well, uh, this woman who I don't know if I love because she literally is. She was sent by the Patriots yeah, to she just was keep sent tabs on me. But now she has my kid. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me because we don't really know how much of actual Rose, Rose. is yeah. in on the whole thing, right? The most we're exp- the real Rose we're exposed to is just a computer simulation. So I think it's hard to say one way or another if Rose herself is actually in on everything. She definitely was sent by the Patriots to do certain things and to help set up this simulation. But I think the con- like the actual context is intentionally missing and left up for interpretation. I think one possible reading of the events of the game is that at some point in the beginning of the big shell mission, you are actually speaking to Colonel Campbell and Rose and at an unknown point during the events of the game, it switches over to the AI because you have real, you have Rose speak to you about real events, right? Things that mean things to Raiden in the outside world, such as looking into his room, significant events in their life, which is like an interesting read on it. In my opinion, I, don't think he was ever talking to the real colonel because he does say pretty late in the game that he's never actually met the colonel in person. Yeah. So I do think it was AI the whole time. I kind of think it may have with Rose, there was possibly like a mix. Like at times you were talking to the real Rose cause she was like an analyst um, and all that, and then other times where it was the AI rose. And I think it might be purposeful that you don't know exactly when those times are. Do we want to go any more into the ending before we talk about our moments? I feel like if we talk more about it, we're just going to spoil some of our moments. So it's not. That's true. So one moment that you really connected with in the game. Buck, go. Uh, I've already talked about it. Mostly, my moment is, for me personally, Fortune's storyline. I I just, I think her, the realization to her at the end that she had 
no power and no agency <laughs> and which i mean you know not to defend kojima at all but not having power and agency is literally the point of the storyline right is that like <laughs> and it's like for me personally I, I don't know why, like, Rose's weird power was the most interesting thing to me. It's probably because Vamp is stupid. And, <laughs> and I don't know, Fat Man's not compelling either. I I really liked what happened with... I, I, don't, I, don't, say, I don't like what happened with Fortune throughout. It, it's just, like, the scenes with Fortune and all like everything that happened to her throughout and her realization that she had no agency the whole time was the thing that resonated with me the most just because it felt the most i guess believable throughout this whole thing of course Haley. so my moment was actually at the end of the game right before um, Raiden fights Solidus for the last time is Solidus creates this whole or goes on this whole speech of, you know, why are you going to just keep doing what the Patriots want you to do? Like you should, you know, break free from them. What I am trying to do in all this is break the control of the Patriots and free us all. And, you know, I can't, do justice to the eloquency of his speech. But I thought that was very um, interesting. And he also, within that speech, goes on to say, you know, he wants to be known. Like, he wants his name to be passed on, which isn't going to happen, you know, with the Patriots censoring everything. Essentially, nobody's name is going to be passed on. He wants to go on in history and it echoed kind of Fat Man's monologue before he dies, too, of, you know, I am doing all this stuff with, you know, planting the C4 and trying to, you know, blow things up in this terrorist attack is for my name to kind of go down in history, for me to be known throughout the ages. And I just think it's also really interesting how... Solidus has this interesting turn kind of almost in character of, you know, he's doing this because he wants people to be free. Yet, as we know, earlier in life, he literally raised an army of child soldiers, which, and we learn his connection specifically with Raiden, by the way, is that he murdered Raiden's parents. Raiden's from Liberia. He murdered Raiden's parents and then kind of took on a godfather role to him and raised him up to be, you know, this really quote unquote successful <laughs> child soldier. Deadly. This deadly child soldier. Yeah. Right? Deadly mm-hmm. child soldier. Um, so yeah, just that whole speech of wanting to break the Patriots' control so that, you know, humankind could have free will. I just thought that was really hard hitting. Absolutely. Sam. So one of my one of the moments I was thinking about was the speech Solidus Snake gives. Not because 
not necessarily because of the reasons you listed, but because I think it mirrors a lot of like modern day sentiment of people believe being misguided and believing that internet they're being unfairly censored on whatever you know internet censorship but in the ways that people would read into them wrong and how people interface with different pieces of media but i think my moment is actually when revolver ocelot is explaining to fortune why she's not special because that scene is just really I really like how Ocelot phrases this dramatic speech to her where he's like, yeah, you're not special. You know, you wanted to play the victim. You wanted to play this role and you did it, you know, to a T you could, we could not have picked a better person to do this. And I was just like, wow, this is a really cool moment of, the setup paying off because a lot of this game is the ending and a lot of things that get set up very early on only pay off in the last, you know, hour and a half. And this was a huge payoff to be like, Oh, it's so cool that, you know, she's been played this whole time. Her character development has been grown out of deceit out of manipulation. And I was like, Oh, this is great. And I was so sad when she just like had the powers anyways, because I was like, this kind of ruins the moment we just had. And it's like, I get it. And they're trying to make her a badass or, you know, they're trying to subvert your expectations. But I was like, I wish you kind of, she was just shitty the whole time. I did think that was kick ass. Cause then you have Ocelot who goes like, what and then everybody else is like it's a cool moment lady luck yeah don't get me wrong it's a cool moment but at the same time i felt like it really cheapened this really cool and unique development that comes about well i personally think shellashaska deserves to be cheapened (laughs) <laughs> don't, yeah, don't get me wrong. Whoa. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's a bad. I don't think it's a horrible scene. I just yeah, don't yeah. personally like how it played out. I I agree with you. One of my favorite lines from Ocelot's monologue there is, "You never had anything the Patriots didn't give you." That's like such a that's such a profound and and terrifying line, right? Like your your identity wasn't even yours we granted it we the patriots granted it to we, you we we sculpted you and made you into the perfect version of what we needed you to be question does also let's say patriots or lolly lulelo he says patriots. he says patriots he's not in he's not in the group he's just loyal to them the patriots God, which i, don't I think wanna... is interesting in and of itself <laughs> the rules regarding who can say patriots and who says lolly lulelo are not consistent even a little bit <laughs> it's like one of my biggest complaints with four is like that they codified that and made it like an in-universe rule that the members of the Patriots can't say Patriots, and then it just like it breaks everything. <laughs> uh, I think my one moment is I'm going to cheat a little bit and do and do two here uh, because they're both two moments that um, illustrate the exact same point. One of which is Vamp reappearing after his boss fight to make an attempt on Emma's life. The other being Solidus killing Olga Gerlukovich in the on the um, top of Arsenal gear. 
because both of those moments um, indicate that even though individual antagonists to the Patriots can be so profoundly powerful, supernaturally so even, um, no matter how hard they struggle and wrestle against the powers of the Patriots, ultimately, they they can't, they're unsuccessful. They can't do anything to stop the ultimate plans of the Patriots. Vamp comes back from the dead twice, kills the person who has the virus that is going to, that, that is actually a fake virus that the Patriots wanted the whole time. He, he walks on water itself to get to Emma to try and stab her to death. And, uh, and Olga has like, you know, she's the cyborg ninja. She's the mirror of the person that bought snake enough time in shadow Moses to finally take down metal gear. She appears before solidus to try and do the same thing. And he just, without a second thought, she can't even raise her gun all the way. And he just, he just kills her immediately as powerful as these two people are vamp and solidus. These two moments both illustrate that like, even they, these like imperceptibly, powerful soldiers they're like they're nothing they can't stand against the patriots it can't happen everything because they're like they're an organization they're all powerful they control something more powerful than a soldier's might right they control the context in which their actions are interpreted and uh, you know it's really speaking of the disc thing you know it's funny that none of the protagonists are ever smart enough to think that the disc isn't actually what they need. Yeah. Even though it's given to him by the president, right? Like yes. someone who we know is an agent of the Patriots. <laughs> it, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't think of it being phrased that way. Right. That like these people who are antagonists to what you're doing are actually antagonists to the Patriots. Yeah. You play as basically a puppet of the bad guy. Yeah. And wittingly, but yeah. And, and it's, I, I do love that because like it just adds more layers to like these people who like, you don't even really want to root for and, you know, are kind of annoyed when they're successful. <laughs> there are no or, good guys in this game. Yeah, no, it's true. It's <laughs> except maybe Snake, I guess, who's trying his best. <laughs> I think that about wraps it up. Does anyone have any closing thoughts they'd like to share with us for Metal Gear Solid Two? I need to talk about my other disappointment with this game. Oh, please. I think if this game was made today. Yeah, there would be a separate ending where you choose to allow Solidus Snake to a non-canonical alternate ending where you choose to allow Solidus Snake to win. Oh, you let Raiden die. Yeah, because after Solidus Snake, I was like, I'm really interested to see what happens if I just drop the controller and let him win. But it's just a game over, and I, I I don't I don't think that's a problem with the game. I don't think that's something that anyone would have done back in 2001, and especially Hideo Kojima, who I feel as a writer and a game director is very rooted and sure about the stories that he wants to tell. He's got he's got very well defined directions he has, that he wants he has his, his narratives his convictions, to go, and I respect sure. it. But I there are parts of me that are like, but what what would have been, what what would it be like? 
you know, how things would, how would things change? Well, you see, the reason that can't happen is because the Patriots wouldn't get what they want. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> Patriots control the game on a game level. They can well, tell you to save the game and turn it off. Right. And the reason, and the reason you're given is because if you allow, if you allow Ryden to die, then Olga's child gets killed. And I was right. like, well, yeah. that's, I don't really care. As a player, yeah. I have no skin in this ge- in it the just, game. It of seems Olga. like capitulating to terrorists. It, it feels, yeah, exactly. Is like, yeah. well, it's like I know. The thing about it for me is like I'm working for a bad guy, and the person I'm confronting is also a bad guy. So me choosing to win this battle doesn't really have any tangible outcome to me. Who who wins, quote unquote? Yeah. Obviously, like. You know, solid as snake wins or the Patriots win or whatever. But at the end of the day, an, anta- an antagonistic force is winning. So I j- it just would have been interesting to me to see how it would have played out. And But, you know, I'm not going to hold it against the game. I just wish... I wish in my mind. I almost think that the reason that Solidus and Raiden's relationship as, as Raiden as a child soldier was added to the game was to give you a good enough motivation to try and beat Solidus. It's like, yeah, okay, well, even though you're working for people who would kidnap and kill a child, like, the guy you're fighting also did that, so (laughs) you gotta kill him. It also, it, it feels like it was put in there to justify, like, because you could, you know, there are people with philosophies and and value systems that are like, Oh yeah, the Patriots are already in control, and Solidus is bad, but he would fight against the Patriots, who are this like overwhelming dominant force. So he should, you should let him win, right? So it feels like it feels like almost that it was put in. I don't know if it was. I'm, I'm. This is conjecture, but it it feels like it could have been. So I'm gonna ask something that might get cut because we might not know it. Yeah, is this the game where Kojima started arguing with translators? No, it was Metal Gear Solid One. Okay, so he so he probably argued on this game too. This one, I believe, because there's <sighs> some really weirdly directly translated. So my knowledge is not perfect. I'll give you that much. Okay, the first guy, the guy from Metal Gear Solid One, fought with Kojima really hard to get it translated, and eventually the translator won out and had um, his vision kind of go through which was to translate the spirit of the word rather than the letter of the word i think kojima pushed it towards more the letter of the word in this one for the translation that's that's based on my best knowledge that and that's why that's what i'm saying there is some very letter of the word translated stuff here as opposed to spirit of the words can you can you give us an example um I mean, exact exact phrases, no. But there are points where the game is like the way things are phrased is a it's a very Japanese way of phrasing them. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I don't know how else to put For it. For listener without... context, Buck Buck studies Japanese, right? Yes. Yeah, it's, I, it's not coming from nowhere. I, just... I I I speak Japanese and. The, the the localization of this game, I don't want to say it seems worse than the first game. It seems different from the first game. It definitely is. <laughs> to where it seems like sentences that should not be translated as literally are. 
and I would have to look at the scripts to see it to confirm my suspicions on that. But that's what it looks like to me. Haley, any last thoughts? I think just one interesting thing to point out, and I was thinking about it earlier today. So just to give some context, because I think we only briefly touched on this before. Raiden is not like his actual name. It's his code name for the mission. His code name prior to that was Snake. But Raiden's real first name is Jack. And, you know, you have Rose. So, like, this is not the only time we have kind of a somewhat tragic pairing of a Jack and Rose. (laughs) I wonder if that was on purpose. I wonder that too. Like, Kojima I wonder, loves uh, movies. Yes, that's true. yeah. I wonder if Titanic is <laughs> like a very well loved movie of his, and so he kind of did that uh, on purpose a little bit. I got to read. I got the Creative Gene, which is his book sitting on my bookshelf. I haven't read yet. I wonder if it's. I wonder if it's in there. My final thought is: I wish that the as good as I think the gameplay and writing are in this game, I wish they were as good as the soundtrack. The soundtrack, the the music, the sound design in this game slaps so hard. It's it adds so much to the game. Three is even better. It only ever gets better. The sound does, not the writing, but the <laughs> the boss theme in this game goes so crazy. I might I might play it softly in the background. It's so good. I think that's gonna be it for Metal Gear Solid Two. Thank you for joining us again, dear listener. Next episode, we are going to be covering Dishonored. Uh, it'll be another game hosted by me, and I am very excited. Another stealth action game. I really, I have a type, uh, definitely. We all have a type. I make fun of Sam for having a type, but I also definitely have a type. So 